Daniel chapter 3. In his book, Where is God When It Hurts?, Philip Yancey tells of a man named Brian Sternberg. Brian was a nationally acclaimed track star. He held several records in the pole vault competition. In 1963 season, when Brian was 19 years old, he held unbelievable success. He made sports headline about every week. He remained undefeated in outdoor competition, and he set his first world record at that time. Excitement and thrills embellished the spring and summer for the Sternbergs. Then three weeks after Brian had set his last world record, everything changed. On July 2nd, 1963, while working out on a trampoline in preparation for the U.S. track team's tour of Russia, Brian landed on his neck. There was a crack, and all feeling and movement in his arms and legs were gone. Brian Sternberg, yes, he was a Christian, and his faith was put to one of the ultimate tests. He faced a crisis that threatened to leave him a quadriplegic the rest of his life, confined to a wheelchair. Brian had faith that God could and would heal his paralysis. Now, years later, he is still paralyzed. Did his faith fail? This is what the guy asked. Did his faith fail? Did he not have enough faith? Did God make a mistake? Did God forsake his child? Less than a year after the accident, Brian was asked to write an article for Look Magazine. Is that even out anymore? (laughs) He ended with these powerful words that described a biblical view of faith. Now again, this was one year after the accident. He said, quote, Having faith is a necessary step towards one of two things. Being healed is one of them. Peace of mind if healing does not come, is the other. Either one will suffice. (coughs) I don't cough until I talk. Either one will suffice. I wish this story ended there. It doesn't. Philip Yancey went to visit Brian about 10 years after the accident. So again, this is nine years after that interview with Look Magazine. Things had changed. He had been convinced by, quote, and I mean this very carefully, quote, well-meaning Christians, end quote, that since God loved him, God wanted him to walk again. They convinced him that if he would just have enough faith, he could stand up and walk away from his wheelchair. If Brian's mind, in Brian's mind, faith now meant that there, there remained not two options for God, but only one. And that was complete healing. Only complete healing would suffice. He was putting his faith in faith, not in God any longer. Some were amazed at the great faith of this young man who still said that God would heal him. Others said he lacked faith or that he, was, he, had, or he would already be healed. Yet the fact remained that when Philip Yancey left the house of Brian Sternberg, he sensed the mood had changed. It was of, quote, an uncompleted, 
uncomfortable struggle mixed with tough, undying faith, end quote. As Brian struggled to find enough human faith, he forgot that God is sovereign, and he lost his peace of mind, end quote. Do you see the change? From saying, Lord, God is sovereign, and whatever happens, I rest in him, to now saying, no, no, God's will is that I would be healed. And so, yes, God is sovereign, but now I'm having a problem. Something is wrong with me because I'm not healed. And peace is gone. Now, I, I read this because in Daniel 3, it teaches us that since God is sovereign, we must put our faith in him as we stand before the fire. The historical narrative gives us a glimpse of the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, illustrating two very, very important strands. First, is that faith is obedience to God's sovereign command. That's what faith is, that I'll do what he says. But the second is this, that faith is trust in God's sovereign will. Biblical faith will always enable us to stand because we trust him regardless of the outcome and the result. So if you're in Daniel chapter 3, I want to go there because, again, we know the story and we know the end of the story. Here are three young men who stand for Jehovah, who do not bow the knee, and we'll go over... And in the end, they are able to come out of the furnace without even the, the smell of, of uh, a burnt uh, wood. But what if it didn't happen that way? See, that was my question. Well, what if it doesn't? I mean, this was a great story, and it's great when that happens to you, and you pray and God heals, or you pray and that person gets saved, or you pray and you, know, and, and you still live. But what if it doesn't happen that way? Do we get discouraged? Do we blame a lack of faith? We sometimes shake our fists at God and say, why? So again, we want to we look at this with more than just saying, oh, this was great. These guys, you know, a miracle happened in their life. But how can that apply to us? Well, again, let's start at the beginning. Verse 1, it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. This is where Daniel's friends would not bow. By the way, this is about 15 to 20 years after chapter 1 and chapter 2. So again, this is after the image was interpreted by Daniel. Daniel's not on the scene. He's probably someplace in, the, in some other place in the kingdom. It is inter- it, it's interesting that Daniel is not here. You know why? Because it shows that these three men were able to stand for God by themselves without Daniel being the prop. So Daniel's not here. He's somewhere else. But these guys are here, and they stand. And again, verse 3 talks about that Nebuchadnezzar gathered them for the dedication of the image. And the command was given to fall down and worship and serve. And that's idolatry. And again, from Exodus chapter 20, it says this, a part of the Ten Commandments, you shall uh, have no other gods before me. Moses tells the Israelites through God. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am am a jealous God. And then verse 6 says this, but showing, he says, I'll I'll visit your iniquities on your children. Verse 6, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. It's very clear in scripture, you are not to bow down to an idol. You are not to worship any but God himself. And we looked at idolatry last week, and we won't go there, only to say this. 
it's very easy for us to fall into idolatry, to trust something other than God. Or the best little phrase that I, I, I like is how the guy said it this way. It involves hitching your heart to some false savior or refuge. It can be money, it can be possessions, it can be other people. It's all kinds of things out there. Things that make us feel comfortable, things that make us feel safe. Things that we trust in, things that when we don't have, we worry about or we get angry about. You cannot usually track an idol by what do you worry about and what do you get angry about uh, with when you don't get it. That's easy to, usually you can find out what your idols are in your own home, uh, in your own life. And they're all over the place. I mean, really, we, we so easily veer from trusting God to trusting something else or someone else. But these men would not bow. They would not um, submit themselves to what the king says. And in, and in verses 8 to 12, uh, you know, we have these Chaldeans who accuse the Jews and basically say that to the king. They're not willing to bow. You got these, this rebel group over here that are Jews that will not obey you, king. They will not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. And it says in verse 13 that Nebuchadnezzar was in a rage and fury. Seems like you see that often with this guy. <laughs> you know, this is the second major part of the message. Daniel's friends would not bend, even though this guy is enraged. In verse 15, you fall down and worship the image which I have made. Good. I mean, if you do that, that's good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So, I mean, the picture is this. He, he brought them all onto the plains of Dura. I'm talking all the officials. And they estimate there could have been hundreds of thousands. Can you imagine 100,000 people going down and worshiping and there's three people way in the back? Like, what? A, what? They're standing. Boy, talk about peer pressure. But they remain firm. And now they're given a second chance. They're brought right before the king. He's in a, you know. But they're resolved. I mean, look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I mean, it's settled. It's not like we're up for debate. We've already made up our mind. They were bold. By the way, that is so important that we see that they were so focused, they were so resolute on doing the right thing. They didn't allow themselves to, as it were, veer. Sometimes we allow ourselves to veer from doing the right thing because we start thinking too much about it. Well, what if, what if, what? Don't worry about the what if. What is God calling us to do, right? See, it's easy to rationalize our failures. You know, like I said last week, someone could come along and said, but you know, you're about the only godly people in this whole kingdom. I mean, if we lose you, we lose the whole witness. Oh, maybe I better just kind of like bend a little bit just so we can still, because let's face it, our ability to be able to be a good witness here will be so much greater if we're still living. You know what? If they had bent the knee, we wouldn't even heard about them. And you say, how could they have such great faith, such great biblical faith, such great boldness? And the hint is right in verse 15, or excuse me, 17. Because again, verse 15 said, you know, who's going to be able to deliver you? That's what Nebuchadnezzar said. But verse 17 says, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. 
See, they had absolute confidence in what the Word of God said, probably going all the way back to even Exodus chapter 3, you know, burning bush and what Moses had, had uh, you know, relayed to the people as far as, he, you know, that God is self-sufficient, he is sovereign, he protected. I mean, all the Pentateuch, what is, you know, the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, what is that all talking about there? That God protects his people, Right? I mean, not only Genesis, God is creator, but God protects. God's promises will come to fulfillment like Abraham. See, that's where he, so I mean, they believed in God's sovereignty. They believed in what the word of God said. That's what's going to give us strength, people. It's not that you're just a strong person of yourself. In fact, if that's the case, you'll fall. But the fact is they knew what scripture said. They knew who Jehovah was. They had faith in what the scripture says and that God was sovereign. So he, they just said, hey, you know, we're not going to answer you. We're not going to debate this. He's able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. And I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar is thinking, well, yeah, but I can, I'm going to throw you in the fire. But you'll, I will be delivered from your hand because we'll be dead on this earth and alive in heaven. I mean, do you see the faith there? It's like, there's nothing you can do, king. And so their faith in Scripture, their faith in God's sovereignty plays out in conviction and boldness, and they will not back down. I like that one verse, uh, Psalms 46.10. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not fear. A few verses later, he says this, Be still and know what? That I am God. By the way, that word's uh, still. The other way you could translate that is uh, be relaxed. That's what it really is referring to. That's what the word is translated in other way in other passages. Relax, or this way, let go, like release. In other words, be still. Just let go. Relax. Because I'm in control. I am God. I'm your God. He ends verse 11 by saying, the, the God of Jacob is our refuge. No, he's the one that we trust in. He's the one that we have hope in. It's not about all our plannings. And again, I mean, I, I, it's been great for me to study Daniel. It really has. It's just been changing my perspective of myself and life and earth and everything else. It's just, it's so good to study Daniel because you just keep seeing God's sovereignty. God is our hope. God is our safety point. God is our refuge. God is our stronghold. He's our, I love the Psalms 18, our rock. You know, we can say a lot of things. This is what I've been thinking about. I can say a lot of things to my kids, but they're going to be watching how I respond when things don't always go the way they ought. See, that's what Job had in Job 13 when he says, though he slay me, yet I'll, I will hope in him. And when he said slay me, he's saying, even though this, these diseases will even take me down, I'll still hope in the Lord. Because it's not about me walking by sight, it's about me walking by faith. And again, we, we have to be careful. We have to be careful. You know, that young man... Um, you know, he's now a quadriplegic in a, in a um, wheelchair. Once you start walking by sight, now you're going to get depressed. 
See, biblical faith says this, that God is over all. He is sovereign, and he can. Let me just, he can, quote, unquote, he can. Not necessarily that he will. See, biblical faith says he is sovereign. Yeah, he can, he can rescue us from the furnace. He can rescue us from your hand, King Nebuchadnezzar. But the second part of biblical faith says, but I'm resting in him, his will. See, I don't know what his will is. He may rescue me, he may not. But me having faith in God cannot be, and Lord, you have to do it this way. By the way, when I, when I say it that way, when I think those type of thoughts, that's me playing God. Yeah, Lord, I'll trust you. Yeah, I believe you're sovereign. Yeah, I'll walk with you, Lord, but you got to do it this way. No, no, no. It's whatever you want, Lord. So we have to be willing to live out convictions with boldness. Look at verse 18. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, <laughs> nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. End of <laughs> Period. Period. There was an interesting story with, uh, well, I'll, I'll say that for later. I mean, I may not be able to get to it with my voice. <clears throat> Anyways, it is possible to believe in a sovereign God and know from Scripture what that sovereign God requires, and yet, again, fail to do the right thing. Here he does, they do the right thing. I mean, they're together. By the way, I find that's interesting, too. There's three. You know, we need to be together more, I think. I don't mean in church. I mean, I'm just saying we need to connect. I mean, church is good, but we need to make sure we're connecting with each other, getting the perspective of each other, you know, so there's true fellowship so that when we come across temptations and trials or times when we want to, you know, back down on what God wants us to do, we have others there that are saying, no, no, this is the right thing. What you're thinking is true. You need to stay with your marriage. You need to have patience with your child. You need to, no, you need to take out a step and be what you are supposed to be at work, even though there might be negative consequences. How can you dare, how can you think that way? You know, we need to have someone that comes, comes along and even goads us to along to doing the right thing, right? It's interesting they have three. There's an interesting story of Dr. Joseph's son. He was a Romanian pastor who, before his exile, was called before the communist authorities to answer for his religious convictions and preaching. Now, this was back when the Iron Curtain was still up. He expected to be killed, so he set his affairs in order, and when he appeared before the interrogating officer, he said this, quote, I have to tell you first that I am ready to die. I have put my affairs in order. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying because when you kill me, people all over Romania will read my books and believe on God, I pre- on the God I preach. <laughs> Pretty strong. <laughs> so do... So even, even more than they do now. Okay. The interrogator said this. Who said anything about killing? And eventually let him go. Today, Joseph's son has actually migrated here to America and is, uh, is just a great blessing to the Romanian Christians, even back there through radio and books. But do you see the, the, the sturdiness there? Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. What do you mean? Well, the worst you could do is kill me. And then I'm with Jesus. If only we could all have that type of perspective. So again, we need to be confident. We need to be committed. We need to have courage. 
And the way you get that is, again, believing that God is sovereign, is found in his word. And Lord, I want, to, I want to obey you and walk with you no matter what. That's why these men were able to do it. They knew what they were supposed to do. You go right back to Exodus 20. There is no, there's no gray area here. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not serve or worship any other God. It's an end of story. It's not like, well, gee, I wonder. <laughs> but again, we need to have courage. In uh, David Jeremiah's little commentary on Daniel, he, he, he gives a story of this uh, man, Stoddard Kennedy. Now, this man lived 60-some years ago. I mean, he, the story is found 60-some years ago during World War II. He was a chaplain during World War II. And he was often thrust, this Stoddard Kennedy was often thrust into the front lines of battle, where his ministry to the troops endangered his life. One day while he and, his, and the army were moving through France, Kennedy, Chaplain Kennedy wrote this letter to his 10-year-old son. And I found it interesting what he asked his 10-year-old son to pray for. He said this, quote, The first prayer I want my son to learn to say for me is not, quote, Daddy, or God, keep Daddy safe. But, God, make daddy brave. And if he, has a hard, if he has hard things to do, make him strong to do them. He, Stoddard goes on and says, Son, life and death don't matter, but right and wrong do. Daddy dead is daddy still, but daddy dishonored before God is something too awful for words. Boy, isn't that true? I suppose you would like to put in a bit about safety too, and mother would like that, I'm sure. Well, put it, after, put it in afterwards, for it really doesn't matter nearly as much as doing what is right, end quote. See, he was willing to pay the price. Daddy, dad, <laughs> is daddy still? But no, we don't want to go down the path of disbelief and unbelief by doing what is wrong. That's how these men felt. You know, you may kill us, but if we've done the right thing, we stand before our God, as it were, with a clean conscience. See, they would rather burn than turn. Is that your feeling? Is that your belief? Is that your conviction? I'd rather burn than turn. Think of the situations that we are faced with. What, is it, what are you being faced with right now that you could turn, but you know what? You would rather go through the fire. God wants you to go through the fire. God wants you to go through the trial, but it's going to take you standing strong in both for him. There might be a person in your life that you've just kind of backed down from. You don't really want to say much because of the ramifications or whatever it might be. But again, it's very, very important that we uh, that we are bold for Jesus Christ. We want to be bold for Jesus Christ. Number three, Daniel's friends would not burn. <laughs> they not burn. And you know what? It's interesting, but in these last few verses, I see some uh, realities, or one man said some promises, some things that are going to happen in your life. You know, if you stand for him, these are some of the realities. If you stand for him. The first one is the reality of persecution. 
See, these are things that we can learn. This is going to happen in your life. If you think it's not going, it's going to jilt you when, they, when it comes upon you. But the first reality is just the fact that there is persecution. And if you go from verses 19 to 23, you see that. Again, Nebuchadnezzar, again, it says, was full of fury. This guy was an angry man. He'd be hard to be married to. And the expression on his face changed. You, you know what I mean, changed? You ever see a guy, you know, get really angry and his face changed? You know? <laughs> Who knows? So, I mean, it kind of, you know, gives you a visual. And he, and he commanded that the heat of the furnace be seven times more than it usually was. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And actually they bound them and were going to take them there. They themselves died, the mighty men, because the command was so urgent. Actually killed them. But just the point is, as we go through here, understand that it's a, it's a reality for Christians, those who walk with Jesus Christ, those who are on God's side, to have persecution in this world. As Christians, we should expect it. And I'll put on a big if. If you are wholly dedicated to Christ. Now, that's real important. See, sometimes we don't get persecuted, and sometimes we don't even know that the... I mean, sometimes we're not even known as Christians. That's sad. But here I'm saying if you are known as a Christian one who walks with Jesus Christ, one who is different from the world, just know that the world... Well, Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. By the way, other words for hate could be uh, loathe. <laughs> They're host hostile towards you. Um, they don't... Or like this, they don't like you. By the way, sometimes they don't tell you that. You know, they don't tell you. They tell other people. Boy, you're kind of weird. Well, yeah, that's still not major persecution or anything. But the point is, is you're different. You know, their, 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 uh, their values are different. Their, their focus is different. Their, their focus on eternity, is, their focus on this world is different. They, they even make statements like it's not really important what's happening here. It's about there. And I don't like that. They're just weird. <laughs> See... If you were of this world, Jesus said, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Do you, do you sense that at all? <coughs> do you sense at all that your standards, your values, your perspective, your focus is different and people pick up on that and actually don't like it? Or is it just that you kind of meld it in, you know, no waves, don't want to deal with the waves? Peter says this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you. Don't think it's strange. Don't think it's strange when you fall into trials, when you fall into bad, hard situations. Peter also said it earlier in 1 Peter 1, 6, you have, been grieved, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the trials, uh, various trials, so that the genuineness or the proof of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ but he used that word various trials we it's a <coughs> pokalos we get our poke polka dot that's what we get the word polka dot in fact that same word about trials is found in James 1 verse 2 kind of all enjoy my brother when you fall in various trials polka dotted trials what do you mean, polka dot trial? In other words, trials 
come in all types of forms, all types of shapes, all types of colors. And by the way, what is a trial to you may not be to me. <coughs> what a trial to you that you just handle and you're very consistent, you've just been working through, could literally knock the slats off from under my feet. That's why we need each other. Because as you go through certain trials and the Lord is strengthening you and you even come out of them, now maybe in the next few years, one of us will have to go through that same trial. If you find someone going through a trial similar to yours that you have already gone through or is going through right now, make sure you reach out to that person. See, we have polka-dotted trials, all types of different trials. Some of them are big, some of them are small, some of them are something that's life-threatening, some, but we all go through these various trials But again, Peter would say, don't think it's strange when you go through these trials. And just know that they actually purify you. Right? It shows the genuineness or the proof of your faith. How we go through them. So actually we say, thank you, Lord, for the trial. You're going to see at the very end that these three men actually grew through this trial. It wasn't just about Nebuchadnezzar understanding who God really was. But they themselves grew through this trial. So, reality of persecution. Number two, the reality of his presence. You see this in verse 24 to 28. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, was astonished. He was alarmed. His face, uh, his face no longer was of you know, anger. He's, now he's like, like this. Because something's happened. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, king. Yeah, we threw three people in. Look! (coughs) By the way, when the king says, Look, it's not like, you know, okay, I mean, Look! So now everybody's in on the game as far as what's... I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. Notice, four men loose. Because the only thing that was... The only thing that got burned up was, was what bound them. Now they're loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they, they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And you might say, well, who's that? Most likely Jesus himself. Christophany. Or a theophany, but most likely Christophany. A pre-incarnation appearance. See, what does that show us? That he is protecting his own through the trial. He is protecting. In fact, God told Israel in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2, and this was 150 years earlier. He said this, it's interesting. He says, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Now, it doesn't mean that you never get burned. I mean, it, it doesn't mean that God always not, and will never allow you to die, but he gives the promise to Israel, listen, I'll be with you, I'll protect you. And here you see the Lord himself, I believe, protecting these three. By the way, you see uh, the Lord in other times, this, this Christophany that I'm talking about, times where I believe it was Jesus Christ himself there. Uh, when you see uh, Genesis 18, Abraham and the two angels that ultimately destroy Sodom and, and Gomorrah, I believe the Lord, when they say Lord, talking about Jesus Christ. Uh, the fiery bush, I believe, was Christ. Uh, so I think you see him over and over again. I believe it was Christ who wrestled with Jacob <laughs> throughout his thigh. 
And again, uh, oh, one other one. Joshua chapter 5, it says, The commander of the Lord. Uh, excuse me, the commander of the army of the Lord. Genesis, or, uh, Joshua 5, 13 through 15. I think that was also Christ. See, I think you see him throughout the Old Testament. <coughs> Pre-incarnate incarnate, uh, uh, appearances. To give strength, to give protection that God himself, not just sending an angel, many times an angel would be sent, but this is God himself, Christ himself, protecting. Remember what Hebrews 13 says? For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? See, he may not keep us out of the furnace, but he will go through the furnace with us. And that's what Paul is getting at in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you just go there, just keep your hand in uh, uh, Daniel 3 real quick. And go over to, to 2 Corinthians. This is where uh, Paul is asking that the uh, thorn in his flesh be taken away. In verse 9 he says, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, Most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities. 2 Corinthians 12 Verse 9. I'm going to boast in, notice the word in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's a very, 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 very important word, in my infirmities. Because we want to go around our infirmities. And Paul says, I've learned to boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. And by the way, I, that doesn't mean just... Um, superficial, yeah, you know, uh, Lord is so good, uh, you know, he, you know, I'm talking about a deep-hearted conviction, God is good. You know, not just words, just for words sake, just to make you look good in front of people. Uh, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, <coughs> and he adds, for Christ's sake, you know, I don't want to go through this because of my own foolishness. <laughs> in Christ's sake means for the sake of the cross. Deny yourself, take up the cross, follow me. That's the type. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. 2 Corinthians 12, that little part right there, it brings out a lot of things we don't have time for, only to say this. It's, it's, it's affirming what Hebrews then says. That he will never leave us or forsake us. He will always be with us. What can man do unto us? So Paul is saying, listen, I don't, I've learned not to go around <coughs> the hard times in my life. That if the Lord still leaves it there, the Lord wants me to go through it. Why? Because when I'm weak, then he has proven strong. Sometimes in our lives, we spend a good part of our life trying to go around something. Do you ever get that? You know, we have this trial, we have this person in our life, man, they are frustrating, you know, or whatever it might be, and we are setting our sights on praying to go around it. Lord, if only didn't have that in my life. If only it would be different. Lord, if it was different, I could really praise you. Lord, I mean, if, if you solve this issue, <clears throat> then I will really give you glory. And you know what he says? I don't, want to, I don't want you to go around it. I want you to go through it because then you will really see my power. That's hard for us as human beings to accept. See, we so easily want to become our own gods. No, no, Lord, you don't understand. That's not in the plan. 
That's not the plan. The plan is, and we try to give him our plan, and God says, no, no, that, no, no, you're, you're living out the plan, and the plan is that you go through it, because then you'll see my strength. You've got to go through it. So the reality of his presence. Again, what if they had been burned? See, this, they went through it, and quite honestly, afterwards, they were promoted. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> but what if they hadn't gone through it? I mean, what if they had gone through it and it had been burned up? Or we go through something, and we encounter very, very difficult times for the rest of our lives. Uh, I want you to turn to one other. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Again, we know this as the... Not the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith. I, and I'm taking time here because, and I read, I read that story, I'm taking time here because, again, I think there's a part of Christianity that always wants to make it sound like, you know what, God wants you healthy. God wants you wealthy. God wants everything in your life to be great because you're one of his kids. That's kind of how it goes. And yet that is not scriptural. And if anything, it's just exactly the opposite. And therefore, sometimes it jilts us because <coughs> I'm having a hard time. See, if I walk by faith, I can understand this. If I walk by sight, then everything should be peachy king, right? Because if I'm walking by sight and, I, and God is in control and God is good, well, then everything should be good with me if I'm one of his kids. I mean, let's face it. If you think these three things, God is sovereign, God is good, and I'm one of his kids. Well, everything should be fine. But that's walking by sight, not faith. See, it doesn't make sense to say, well, wait a second, God is good, God is sovereign, but there's all these problems in my life, but I'm one of his kids. Only by faith can you say, no, no, but it's, it's in his hands. See, God is sovereign, but I'm resting in him. If you go to verse uh, 32, this is the positive. Now, again, he's gone through a lot of the great... <coughs> people of faith. And by, and by the way, every time he says, by faith, this is why we call it the faith chapter. Verse 4, by faith Abel. Verse 5, by faith Enoch. Verse 7, by faith Noah. Verse 8, by faith Abraham. Verse 20, by faith Isaac. By faith Jacob. By faith Joseph. By faith Moses. I mean, you know, on and on. By faith, by faith, by faith. And then verse 32, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. I wonder who he's talking about there. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. If you stopped right there, you'd be saying, praise the Lord. <clears throat> Look at the power of God. The goodness of God, the sovereignty of God. Look at, because when you put your faith and trust in God, things are going to work out. It's going to be good. Trials will be resolved. Enemies will be destroyed. Your life will be excellent. But look at the second part of verse 35. Others were tortured. This is the negative side. This is the, this is the other side of faith. God is sovereign. God is good. I'm one of his kids. And others were tortured. Not accepting deliverance. 
that they might obtain a better resurrection. In other words, they wouldn't back down. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, and all of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Most think that was Isaiah. Were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. That's just like, and the world was not even worthy of them, and that's how they were treated. Because again, they are God's kids. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth and on. Have you ever come across a person that is trying to promote to you prosperity theology? Go to Hebrews. And say, well, let's look at how, how, the, how the Old Testament men and women of faith were treated. And yeah, sometimes they were delivered, but many times they were not. See, all had the faith, all had faith in God's power and sovereignty and love. But when you come to Hebrews 11, they also had one other thing. <coughs> they were all submissive to his will. And that's exactly what you see of the Hebrew boys. They all were submissive. We know he can deliver, but we don't know what his will is. And we are okay and submissive to whatever. By the way, when I say boys, let me see here. They were probably about 20 when uh, Daniel 1 happened. This is about 15 years. So they're about 35, 38 years old. So, that, you know, they're not like young boys. They are, what is that called? Is that middle age? 30-something? To me, that's young. <laughs> okay. Persecution. When you go through hard times, are you assured of God's presence? Are you assured? Because again, if you understand God's presence, if you understand that, that we are in his will, <coughs> then we can walk with him, and we can do, and we can be strengthened by him. Number three, the reality or the promise of an effective testimony. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 28, after they come out, come out, come out. And, they, and this is what he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. That's very important. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. So he blesses the god of, of heaven. And after blessing the god of heaven, then makes a decree that if any people, nation, or language which speaks against a miss against the god of these three shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap, I mean, this guy is just like, just, you know, woof. I mean, he's ready to kill anybody at a moment's notice. But again, he understood that God is God. But, let me say this, but Nebuchadnezzar was not converted at this point. Because you get to chapter 4, the next chapter, and you find him saying, you know, how great I am. And remember, that's the time when he sends him out into the field and lets him eat for a while out there like an ox for seven years. He comes back, and then I believe he is converted. Now, the reason I say all that is this, even because even as I think about the, um, you know, Christmas program, I believe this year, you're going to, whoever you bring in yourself, you're going to see a very strong gospel as far as presentation with the Christmas program. I strongly, we strongly encourage you to pray, to fast all this week, when I say fast, maybe a day, but be praying every day <clears throat> that the gospel is clear, but invite It'd be sad if we prayed and fasted and then we didn't invite anybody and then, you know, we ourselves are watching. Oh, this is really great. Um, <laughs> but let me say this, because I've seen it over and over again. You see it out of the, uh, the sower and the seed. People can make some very fantastic statements about God and still not be converted. 
Do you see what I'm saying? By the way, I would, I, I'm really praying that people are converted. But a true conversion means this. I know who the true God is, and I am turning from my wicked ways, that's repentance, and moving in his direction. That's called belief and having faith in him and what he did on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get so excited because a person may give a nod to something of Christianity. You know, uh, maybe it's e- even something like walking out, thing like that. Or I'm just saying giving a nod in any way. Like, uh, you know, you're talking to a relative that you've been witnessing to for the last 20 years, and all of a sudden he might say, well, I, I believe that God is God. I believe, that, I believe that Jesus is God. Oh, you know, and we get all excited, and, and it's good to get excited. Okay, now they're moving towards. But think about what Nebuchadnezzar just said here. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach. Then he goes on, there's, uh, that you should not serve nor worship any God except their own. I mean, he gives a pretty strong statement there, and yet we find out in the next chapter he's still not converted. So we have to be careful. Let's make sure that we give the gospel, the full gospel. And if someone says, listen, you know what? I, I get it. I got it. You're telling me that I am a sinner condemned before a holy God. Is, is that what you're telling me? Yes. And that unless I receive the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, and the penalty that he paid on the cross on behalf of me, that he was my substitute, unless I receive that, I am damned. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. Yes, I want to receive him. I want to receive because I know that he is the only way that I can be forgiven. Yeah, that's true, for, that's true conversion. You've turned from your sin and turned unto God. But again, you want to make sure it's not just a head nod. No, it's a heart transformation. So again, be praying for that. But this was an effective testimony. The boys did, the boys, these, these 30-something did what they were supposed to do, and it had a great effect not only on them, but on the unsaved, on this wicked, ungodly King Nebuchadnezzar. And then finally, the reality of future promotion. What do you mean future? Well, but John, you're saying that it doesn't always happen that way. Well, it did in this case. Verse 30, the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Again, go back to verse 17. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will do it. That's not only faith, that's a reality. That is a reality there. Like I said before, whether they died in the furnace, (coughs) they're promoted. Or came through the furnace, they're promoted. Either way, they've, they've done what God told them to do. They were obedient. So in that sense, it was promotion. Now in this sense, it was earthly promotion. Their, their influence enlarged. By the way, that's what we need to be looking for in our life. As God gives us opportunity to walk through the trials, people watch, and you know what happens? Our influence enlarges with people. Oh, man, I thought they were a serious Christian, but now as I've seen them go through that financial trouble, as I've seen them go through that health issue, as I've seen them go through that uh, relational problem, and I've been an onlooker, a fly on the wall. Now I can see their faith is real and your influences have been enlarged with that person's life. See, these men were better off for having gone through the fire. That's a hard thing to even want to... But it's true. I, I gave you a few thoughts, a few blanks to... But think about how they have been in... How they're better off. Um... It gave them an opportunity to walk with God. In other words, they were strengthened. The fire set them free from the bonds. 
I mean, the physical bonds, but also what fire does, as we saw earlier, <coughs> it, it burns off the dross. Excuse me. It burns off the dross in our life. Oh, we can get so ex- excited about so many things, but then God gives you a trial, and it kind of brings you back to spiritual reality. Trials burn off dross. <clears throat> we get so excited about the tinsel, about the trappings of this world. And then you go through a trial, and all of a sudden you come back to, no, no, th- God is God, and I have faith in him, and that's all that really matters, because this earth is, is, is fading away. Number three, their, their experience glorified God before others. That's another blessing through this trial. Four, the king promoted them and gave them honors. And they were able to share in his glory. I'm talking about God's. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am also a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory. What do you mean? Well, the glory that will be revealed. As I have watched Christ, I go through it, but then I'm also a partaker in it. Can you imagine if you were a Christian that never went through a trial, how pathetic that would be as far as for your Christian walk? I mean, if you could really just find your hope in this world, and all your joy was in this world, and your peace was found in this world. And God never jilted us with a trial to start saying, you know what, it's not about this world, it's about eternity. See, the trials are given so that we keep getting our perspective back on him. And again, as, as long as we don't want to go around it and we say we want to go through it, then our weakness are made strong through him. And we grow, and we grow, and we continue to grow because our focus is on him. There's a... There's an illustration out of church history. His name was John Christostom. He lived back in the 347-407 A.D. So this was 1,600 years ago. But this, and, and he's a very famous preacher. He was, he, was, he was called, I think, the golden tongue. Whenever he preaches, people were just like flock to him. But anyways, as a young guy, as a young Christian, he was brought before the emperor. Now again, 400 A.D., they had just gone through... Um, um, there was freedom in the uh, empire, but it, it kept slipping back. But anyways, he was brought before uh, the emperor, who said that if he would not give up Christ, he would be banished from the country. Christosom said this, You cannot, for the whole world is my father's land. You cannot banish me. The emperor said, Then I will take away all your property. You cannot. My treasures are in heaven, was the reply. Then I'll take you to a place where there is not a friend to speak to. John replied, you cannot. I have a friend who is closer than a brother. I shall have Jesus Christ forever. The emperor finally threatened, then I'll take away your life. The answer was, you cannot. My life is hid with God in Christ. And this is what the emperor ended up saying. What do you do with a man like that? Why? Because his whole focus was on Christ. And yeah, he had gone through trials, but he kept understanding, I, go, I can go through it because with, with Christ, I can go through the trial. And he will strengthen me. And no matter what happens through or on the outside or the other side of the trial, I can glorify him if I keep my eyes on him. That's the whole point. I can glorify him 
no matter what happens, is the result. <coughs> because I keep my eyes on him. Are you keeping your eyes on him? Or is there a tendency in your life when given the trial, Lord, just get me around it. Now he wants to take you through it. Let's stand as we worship him. I want to close with one, one, one final illustration. Again, building on this idea of we get our boldness from knowing God is in control, he's sovereign, that he's good, that we are his kids, but again, resting in the consequence, resting in the result. Lord, I'm in your hands. Brian Chappell tells the story of a Christian miner who was injured at a young age and became an invalid who spent his time watching through a window from his bed. His life passed him by. He watched as men his own age prospered, raised families, and had grandchildren. As he watched, his body withered, his house crumbled, and his life wasted away. One day when the bedridden miner was quite old, a younger man came to visit him. He said, I hear that you believe in God and claim that he loves you. How can you believe such things after all that has happened to you? Don't you sometimes doubt God's love? The old man hesitated and then smiled. Yes, it is true. Sometimes Satan comes calling on me in, in this fallen down house of mine. He sits there right by my bed where you are sitting now. He points out my window to the men I once worked with who are still strong and active. And he asks this question, does Jesus love you? Then Satan casts a jeering glance around my tattered room as he points to the fine homes of my friends across the street and asks again, does Jesus love you? Then at last, Satan points to the grandchild of a friend of mine, a man who is everything I do not. And Satan waits for the tear in my eye before he whispers in my ear, does Jesus really love you? And what do you say when Satan speaks to you that way? Asks the young man. The old miner said, I take Satan by the hand and I lead him in my mind to a hill far away called Calvary. There I point to the thorn-tortured brow, to the nail-pierced hands and feet and to the spear-wounded side. Then I say to Satan, you tell me, doesn't Jesus love me? Isn't that true? That's the... It's not what happens to your life here on earth. Look to Calvary. Then you know, yes, God is sovereign. God is good. And God has made me one of his children. How? Through the sacrifice of Christ. Calvary is the measure of the Savior's love for us. The cross is the warrant for confidence in God's love despite lifelong heartache. When our focus remains on the cross, our faith will never waver Though troubles and challenges come and human answers fail. Yes, look to the cross and then we are absolutely assured Jesus loves me. And if you put your faith and trust in him as the only savior for forgiveness of sin, Jesus also loves you. No matter what your circumstances are, you can find joy and peace in our savior. Let's pray. Father, again, help us to have wisdom as we look at our own lives, as we look at others' lives. Lord, may our hope and trust be in your sovereignty. May it truly be that we can rest in you. Lord, no matter what happens, whatever comes down the pike, may we look to the cross and know 
as we put our faith and trust in Christ, that indeed he loves us, <coughs> that he continues to love us, and that he will provide the strength and the encouragement we need no matter what trial comes our way. Lord, give us the ability, give us the focus to want to walk through the trials and not try to get out of them, knowing that you are going to build into our life Christ-likeness. Again, Lord, thank you for the example of these three men. May we live out these faith truths in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen.